0: one and then be seated amen and amen and amen we are going to be praying after a while but first we'll have a message from the word of God and we're going to have uh, we're going to have opportunities for praises and prayer requests and uh, God is certainly good to us we praise him for all of his goodness uh, tonight's message uh, as we continue has to do with separation and separation is one of our Baptist distinctives we're going to be talking about. It's a shame that our Baptist distinctives have been so lost. Uh, Let me tell you a sad story. Many, many years ago, uh, several pastorates ago, uh, a great church in the South uh, had come open. The pastor had died. His associate had succeeded him. And uh, this was a mega church, a soul-winning, independent Baptist church started out in a tar paper shack, got built on soul winning, soul winning. And Bible preached, King James Bible believing, old fashioned, old time, old paths, gospel church. And it was a great, great ministry. And the pastor had died, gone to glory. He was famous. Uh, folks still order his, his uh, sermons. And his associate took it, but, but he burned out. And after he burned out, the call went out, and my name was placed in nomination as a potential candidate for that church. And it came down to two individuals. Now, uh, uh, Dr. J.R. Faulkner, who was the the co-pastor with Lee Robertson of the Great Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, placed my name in nomination at that big mega church, at that soul-winning, wonderful, wonderful church in Testimony Lighthouse for Jesus, placed my name. But they were considering another fellow who had gone contemporary. And, uh, and so uh, Dr. Faulkner uh, wrote the committee a letter and said, I warn you against going that direction. You need an old-time, old-paths Baptist. And uh, they didn't call me, but they called the other man. And after eight years, that man resigned, and the church had gone completely lights out, I mean completely contemporary. Uh, they were a fraction of what they had once been. And... Um, at the time that they became vacant again after those 8 years of that contemporary leadership once again my name was placed in nomination i was i was once again free and seeking god's will and i got a phone call from the music director the music director had come from a large television a charismatic ministry and he was he was the music director and in charge of drama and plays and things like that that they did in place of real bible preaching and uh, he said Brother Winninger, I just want to let you know that you will not be considered for this pastorate. And I said, why? Why is that? May I ask you why? He said, because we've listened to your message from eight years ago. He says, have you changed? I said, no, I haven't. He said, we have. He said, we're no longer King James. We're no longer uh, old-fashioned, traditional Baptist soul winners. We don't believe in that. And, uh, and so you'll not be considered. I said, before I let you go, let me ask you a question. I believe this is the way it went down, but this is how it eventually came out. I said, you're saying I would not be a candidate because I don't qualify anymore because you've changed. He said, that's right. I said, would your founding pastor, and I called his name, would your founding pastor be a candidate? And the man thought said, no, he would not. Because he was King James, old time gospel preacher. Now, that's, listen, listen. That's to their shame and that's, that's a, a badge of honor for people who stick with the stuff and don't change. Don't change. All across America, we need to have churches where pastors will stand up unafraid and in love speak the truth and preach about our Baptist distinctives. I want to quickly review them for you. B-R-A-P-S-I-S if you take it from top to bottom. The B stands for Bible being our sole authority for faith and practice. Do you believe that? I believe that tonight. I don't believe in something else. I believe in the old time King James Version. Alright? R stands for regenerated church membership. Uh, that means that everybody ought to be born again and needs to give a testimony of salvation before they can become a member. You're not born into this church. You're you're born again and then scripturally baptized and you give a testimony. A stands for autonomous church government. That means nobody in some other convention runs this church. This church is run, headquarters are the New Jerusalem. We take orders from the Lord Jesus Himself and the highest authority is the vote of the congregation when we meet in business session. P stands for the priesthood of the believer. That means that we can come directly into the presence of the Lord, praise God, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. S stands for soul liberty. That means I have, I have freedom of conscience. I can believe and practice anything I want to. We'll fight for your right to believe that. It may cause you not to be a Baptist. It may cause you not to be part of our church. But we will fight for your right to believe what you want. No one can force you to believe anything. I stands for immersion in the Lord's Supper. They are the two, the only two ordinances of the local church. They're not ordinances that we carry on. It's ordinances that the church has been given. S with a two after it stands for separation of two varieties. There's ethical separation, which is personal. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? And so because we've been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ, all right, we are to be separate from the world, the flesh, and the devil and The second kind of separation is ecclesiastic or church separation. Our local assembly does not compromise and yoke up with any other kind of congregation except a congregation that believes and practices as we do. Those are Baptist distinctives. Remember again, separation is two ways. It is from the world, the flesh, and the devil, by the grace of God and for His glory, and it is unto Christ. So it's from from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and unto Christ. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So, Baptist distinctives, long-held, are very, very important. I believe that God wants us to continue on and not compromise and not change, but to stick by the stuff. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Absolutely. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Please turn with me, if you would, to the 11th verse. The 11th verse, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Paul has been criticized, he has been critiqued by those folks at Corinth, can you believe it? The immature believers, the baby Christians who had all kinds of problems, squabbles among themselves, questions about doctrine and practice, and Paul helped to straighten them out. He lovingly spoke the truth. And then they went to attacking him as though he were not an actual God-called preacher, an actual apostle of Jesus Christ, which he was. And he's saying, I, I, I am, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. He, he says, uh, he says uh, I hope you can include me in your heart. I hope you can accept me. Verse 12, you are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be also enlarged. Open up your heart. Open up your heart. Now, it is important for us to be separated from the world, the flesh, and the devil and unto Christ. Here's what that means. With the same intensity, we ought to hate sin, hate the devil, hate the the compromise that sends churches down the tube. We ought to be against that stuff, but with that same intensity, we ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to love all of God's people. Can I get an amen on that? Absolutely. We ought to have uh, a desire to, uh, to be partners with and great efforts, those who are exactly as we are, those who agree with us. And, uh, and that was what Paul was saying here. Now he says, and this is very important, you want to mark this, Verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Think about, about a yoke. A yoke is a, a piece of wood that you put over the necks of two animals, two, two creatures they are going to be subburdened. They're going to pull or work. Uh, and, uh, and then there is a connection underneath their necks so that that kind of rests on their shoulders. And then if you're going to plow, you have two creatures. Now, you, you can't have you can't have an ox and a chicken on the other side. You can't have have creatures that are natural enemies or those that don't cooperate together or work together. They've got to be equally yoked up. And we need to be equally yoked up. Uh, Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. What he's saying is, in that case, that we're yoked up with him. So when we yoke up with others, we ought to yoke up with others as they stand on the Word of God and on Jesus Christ and on the things of God and the work of God. We ought to be in equal standing. If we're going to do the work of God together, if we're going to be associated with folks, we ought to be in agreement with them spiritually. Amen. So be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is the second part of the brapsis, the the, uh, acrostic I gave you of the Baptist distinctives, the last letter S. There's ethical separation, which is our personal separation from things that would destroy the body, destroy the testimony, compromise our witness. And then the second part of that S is separation from church groups and religious associations that would cause us to compromise the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, here's a question, a series of rhetorical questions with obvious answers. All right, it says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness. Now the obvious answer is righteousness and unrighteousness are polar opposites. Righteousness and unrighteousness have nothing to do with each other. say, well, what if if I want to be friendly? What if I want to be nice? What if I want to get along? If you want to be friendly and nice and get along, uh, you're, you're talking about some type of of fleshly desire for acceptance rather than a stand for what is good and godly and right and uh, pleasing the Lord. It does not matter in terms of priorities if we please others. It matters primarily that we please the Lord. For that reason we were created, for His good pleasure. It does not matter. We, so we don't set out as our number one goal to make everybody happy. Now, likewise, we don't set out to make everybody unhappy. Uh, one of the things about uh, this business of uh, the local church and uh, our separation is that in every church there are people who go to seed on the subjects of separation. They go to seed. Uh, uh, Dr., um, Dr. Hugh Pyle, who was a friend of mine, uh, and uh, for, for many years, we had sweet fellowship. He said uh, in his uh, little tract, My people did all, not all love me all the time. I'm sure, and they did not all appreciate me as I sometimes suppose they should have. But they knew I was right because I gave them the book, capital B-O-O-K. Preach firmly, but preach in love. Be kind to people. Take an interest in them. Remember, many of them have not had the training you have had. Keep your sense of humor, be gracious, be a gentleman, but be a leader. They expect you to be. Don't be a pipsqueak. Don't drift with the tide of popular opinion. Be not afraid of their faces, God told Jeremiah. Put on the whole armor of God. Stick to your standards. Pray that we might yet have a spiritual awakening in America. So there we have a second clarion call. Our hope is not found in human government. Our hope is in the Lord. In another booklet, one of my friends, one of my preacher friends has written, Ladies and gentlemen, I may not have covered your particular squabble that is ruining your church. It could be that you're one of those who likes to tear things apart, that you're itching to refute my discussion of your hobby horse. It is not the point of this booklet to cover every subject of strife, nor to fully dismiss every argument for or against something we should be Uh, or not be arguing about. I have written to warn you of a sin, a great and terrible sin, one so great that God says he hates the person guilty thereof. It's not the wearing of this or that. It's not the attending of this or that. It's the sin that God finds so grievous of dividing brothers and sisters in Christ one from another, especially so that one may be exalted in the eyes of sinful man. There was once upon a time an individual in this very church who took it upon themselves to tell everybody else what was wrong with something that they did. And even though I might have agreed with that person in the content uh, or perhaps the intent of what they were talking about, how they went about it was totally unscriptural. It was divisive and God hates it. I know it's awful quiet in here, but God has not called us to each get our soapbox and give our, give our pet preferences and convictions out to divide us one from the other. when there, We are on the very threshold of a great revival. Maybe right here, maybe just in our little corner, but we are on the threshold of a great revival and a great evangelistic outreach with souls being saved out there at the fair and bringing them in, bringing them in, bringing them in from the fields of sin. And the devil would like nothing better than all of us to get, our, get up in our back and, and, and tell everybody else off about what we differ with them about. That's not why I'm preaching on separation tonight. I'm preaching on it for two reasons. I'm preaching on it, number one, because it's in the order of the scripture that we're going verse by verse. Number two, I'm preaching on it because it needs to be preached right. So you say, preacher, preach it. I aim to. Amen. Amen. Dr. Lee Robertson, now in heaven, was a dear friend of mine. and. Quoting part of Daniel eight, Daniel purposed in his heart. He says, as a young lad of 15, Daniel had, a, had deep convictions. His religious training had given him a sincere consciousness of right and wrong. When tempted to partake of food and drink which would defile him, he refused. By the law of Moses, the Jews were forbidden to, to eat certain kinds of food as well as food prepared in a certain way. Some animals were to be avoided as unclean. Now, as I preach Sunday... When Peter saw that that uh, come down in that vision he realized that that was being lifted that those prohibitions were no longer in effect he was not under the law system and also it was symbolic that now he was going to be reaching out to to uh, not to only Jews but Gentiles Samaritans all kinds of people go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that's what Jesus said all right so they they had these They had these prohibitions in the Old Testament and Daniel knew that some were to be avoided. Besides, Daniel could not partake of meat which had already been offered in sacrifice to heathen idols. Therefore, Daniel saw that to partake of the royal provision was to pollute himself by participation with idolatry and to transgress the law of God. See, it wasn't a big deal. He was a he was a slave. He had been taken captive. He, he was there uh, at the mercy and the whim of the Babylonians. Why, he could have done that and gotten away with it. Nobody would have known and been the wiser. And he'd have been okay. He could have slid through. But he would have known and God would have known. And that's why we have to be primarily concerned about not only what we do, but how we do it. And uh, we need to be concerned about the very appearance of evil as well. This was not an easy thing for a young lad in a foreign country to do, Dr. Robertson continues. He did it and he won the victory. Whenever we have deep religious principles, they are sure to be tested. Gold must be submitted to the fire to prove its reality and purge it from dross. Everything worthwhile in the world comes to a testing time. Put it down. Everything comes to a testing time. When we have deep abiding beliefs in our hearts, we can be sure that we are going to suffer trial. People do not like the fact that we are what we are. That church that didn't call me, I tuned in just to see what their Sunday service is like. I couldn't even see anybody but one guy that was in the spotlight. The rest were all standing around in darkness. That is such a a symbol of how far they've gone. That used to be an old-fashioned, pulpit-pounding, King James Bible-believing, soul-winning church. No longer is it any of those things. And there are many today who are in the process of just about ready to slip in something. One of those distinctives, one of those things, one of those aspects of living the Christian life. The question is then asked in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And what communion hath light with darkness? Light and darkness are polar opposites. They have no communion. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? That's Christ and the devil. No, none. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? None. On a spiritual level, we have nothing in common with lost souls other than the fact that we once were one. And when they come to Christ, praise the Lord, we'll now have someone in common, Jesus Christ. But until then... We have a desire to see them saved, but that's as far as it goes. We can't yoke up with them. We can't can't go along with them. Say, oh, but they're such good moral people. They're fine, upstanding people. They're wonderful neighbors. They're wonderful family people. Oh, they do all these great things that does not matter. Don't yoke up with them. Bible says so. If you run with folks who are, you know, squeaky clean in other ways, but they're not Christians, they're not Bible believers, pretty soon you're going to start to compromise areas of your life. Because your your flesh is going to justify your association with them and you're going to start to be like them. You're going to watch the same movies that they watch. You're going to do the same things they do. You're going to go the same places. You're going to make the same compromises that they make. If you run with them, you better be careful. I mean, if you lie down with the dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. Run with a skunk, you're going to smell like them. See, that's awful. That's awful crude. No, that's plain preaching. And there was a time when every so-called Baptist preached that way. You couldn't go to a Bible-believing church over one month without hearing, you know, a a paint-blistering message on separation. Where you don't go, where you, who you don't go with, what you don't do, what you do, and where you do go, and And how you do comport yourself. It was always very balanced. It was always very plain. When I preach those messages, if if I don't feel bruised, my toes all the way up, you know, to my shoulders, I haven't preached. I don't feel like I've been to church. Amen. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Zero. For ye are the temple of the living God. So, the collective, the corporate witness of the local church, is absolutely separate and distinct from the, from the profession of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that includes all false churches, all churches that are not, not founded upon the word of God and upon Jesus Christ. Ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see the the, the un breakable bond that we have with the living God and that He ought to have with His people, His peculiar people, as the Scripture calls us. Now here it is. Here's, here's a call. This is a call. It hasn't changed in thousands of years. It's still the same. Wherefore, in view of that, here it is. It's not, it's not an option. It is a command. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Notice how close you're supposed to go. And touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. This is pretty blunt. This is as blunt as it gets. I'm telling you, the desire for... God's people, to be clearly identified as such, should outweigh any personal feeling of of being uncomfortable, being unsettled because we take a stand. Because you take a stand. You're upset because we dress a certain way, we talk a certain way, we have a certain attitude, we comport ourselves a certain way. We should not. We should not. We're not the ones that are out of step with God. We're not the ones that are wrong and doing our own thing. Historically, it has ever been that God's people have been willing to be different. I have a book here on biblical separation written by Dr. Ernest Pickering. He likewise was a friend of my family and of me. And he talks about the Anabaptists. The A-N-A Baptists were those so-called by the enemy of the truth. All of the different religious elements and governments that were against them. Because what happened was even though these people had been brought up in formalism and false religion, when they later heard the gospel and got saved as grown folks... Uh, why they got scripturally baptized after they received Christ and professed Him. And so the world and, uh, and false religion called them Anabaptists, meaning you're getting baptized again. Baptism, of course, is not a means of salvation. It's not a means of removing the old nature, uh, such as is practiced by formal religion that's false, where they just sprinkle or apply water or the sign of the cross or whatever, and they say this takes care of, of the Adamic nature, the, the old nature And it does not Does not take care of original sin There's only one way And that's the blood of Jesus Christ That cleanseth from all sin Amen, amen Since the Anabaptists, I'm reading now from Dr. Pickering Believed strongly in the purity of the church It was important to them That impure persons, persons who were not living like Christians Should be banned or barred from church fellowship uh, We refer to today as church discipline these hardy believers taught that church membership uh, being a free response and obedience to Christ had certain obligations. Isn't that a refreshing change? Certain obligations, like coming to church, like supporting the church, like going soul winning, like serving God, amen, and being separate. Members who are living loose lives should be banned from participation in the Lord's table or be completely removed from church fellowship. That's what the Anabaptists believed in the Middle Ages. here's, uh, Here's what is written on that subject. Repeatedly, when Anabaptists were questioned by state church leaders as to the reason for their separation from the official church, they cited the lack of discipline. The state church could not be the true church of Christ because it tolerated in its midst all kinds of sin. Say, what kind of church are we? What kind of church are we? Are we the church of Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, as we read, as we began tonight? That He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Jesus Christ didn't just die so we could go to heaven. Jesus Christ died so that while we're on our way to heaven, which has been secured by His blood and His finished work, we might live as Jesus would have us to live. We might please God. He's the one that we're desiring to please, not somebody else. Amen and amen. Amen. We have been predestinated in Ephesians 1, 5, but not like you think and not like some teach. We have been predestinated unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That means, as in Jewish times, that... Children who were biological children of their own actual natural parents were adopted when they came to the age of 12. And at the age of 12, they had their bar mitzvah, their bas mitzvah. And in that, they were recognized to have the full rights and obligations, rights, privileges, and obligations of adults. Now, the reason that's there in Scripture for us to see in Ephesians 1.5 is that when we got saved, the salvation part of it, the going to heaven part was completely on God's part through Jesus Christ. But the living right is our part to yield to the spirit of Christ and allow him to live through us a separated life under the glory of God. Amen. That's why we've been saved. So we're to come out from among them. And be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not, stay away from it, the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Touch not, don't have anything to do with it. Don't have anything to do with it. That's it, plain and simple. One of my preacher friends has written a huge book on separation. But right in the middle, he quotes Nehemiah that it took 52 days to build, to rebuild, and to repair the walls and gates of Jerusalem. You remember that? They had a mind to work, but they worked constantly for 52 days. And he he says this, don't fall out with your people if they don't get completely right on the subject of separation right away. It took them 52 24-hour days to get the walls built. And building the walls of separation may take 52 days. And that may be 52 Sunday mornings. It may be a year of Sundays before people get right in this area or that area or all of those areas collectively so that our life is an outward picture, clear picture of of the life of Jesus Christ and the spirit and attitude of Jesus Christ and the purpose of Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save the lost. Now when that privilege, when we step up to that obligation, we get the privilege of being treated with the blessings that God the Father wants to pour out upon His blood-bought children. So we're already His children, but He wants to be a father Unto us. Do you understand that? The scripture is not there by accident. The scripture is there on purpose. God cannot bless some of those who have been saved because they're not living like it. God cannot bless some of those who claim to be Christians because they're not acting like it or they don't have an attitude like it or they don't care about lost souls like Jesus cared about lost souls who was willing to go to the cross and give it all up for the sake of the lost to be saved. When I think about that, I understand completely why some folks who ought to be living like king's kids are living like paupers, spiritually. Like they're they're on skid row, spiritually speaking. Down in the worst part of the worst place because they they haven't stepped up to their obligations. Do you know there is no... There is no reasonable excuse for our not doing that. He has given us everything we need, all things that pertain to life. He's given us all those things. He's given that that blessed fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of himself and the fullness of Christ to everybody, to every single believer who will will employ that fullness, that that flow of life and and the joy in living for Jesus Christ. And God just wants to be able to bless you and to bless me. Maybe you feel like the well's gone dry and maybe (sighs) everything is kind of dusty in that respect. Then step up to your obligations by the grace of God. Amen. He'll be a father unto you and they shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Just Just like the natural children of Jews who are adopted at 12 years of age, when we come to that place of obligation and acceptance of our responsibility, why God wants to bless us and pour out those blessings upon our life as we serve Him without without any reservation whatsoever. Praise God for that. We've been predestinated to the adoption of children. Amen. That's what that means in Ephesians 1.5. I want to finish off our passage tonight, 2 Corinthians Go to the first verse of the next chapter. I know, I know. That means we're hopping across chapters. But go to the seventh chapter, the first verse. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Look how he refers to them. These are people who have attacked him. Some of them have been his vicious verbal enemies. They have committed uh, uh, mayhem, uh, if not verbal homicide. On the Apostle Paul. They have slandered him. They have mistreated him in every respect. And he says to them, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. To be loved is one thing, to be beloved is to intensify the love. And then, dearly beloved. He says, You're dearly beloved. Think about that. And all I can say is this we don't deserve to be loved or beloved or dearly beloved. But we're dearly beloved because of His so great salvation. Because of His great love. Because of who He is. God is love. And He loves us. And that love flows. Amen. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. That's separation, folks. How do we do that? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness. Holiness is not what we put on the outside. All those groups that were formed in the late 1800s coming out of uh, some of those arbors and camp meetings down south and coming out of uh, Methodism and so forth and, and, and moving into the, the Neo-Pentecostal movement, uh, the Azusa Street and so forth, other, other Pentecostal movements, all those folks, many of them stressed an outward appearance of, uh, of almost like Amish. Uh, uh, kind of a, a very straight-laced appearance. Now, there's nothing wrong with conservative, uh, modest dress, clothing, and so forth, but uh, such extremity, such, a, such, such an extreme appearance, so as to, uh, to deify plainness. Can I just say that? There is nothing in the Bible that deifies plainness. Now, there, there are scriptures about drawing attention to oneself and how we ought not to do that by hair or by jewelry or by a certain type of clothing. But see, you can't take all that away. You can't take away uh, fixing the hair and wearing jewelry because you'd have to take away wearing clothing too. See, so you've got you to gotta rightly divide the word of truth. All right? There is, no, there is nothing exalted about plainness. Modesty, yes. Appropriateness, yes. Yeah, avoid gender confusion, yes. All of the above, all of the above. But now listen to me very carefully. The holiness comes from the heart, from the inside out. As Jesus has control, that's it. It's the inner man of the heart. It's the inward person that first we must be concerned about. We need to make sure every rotten attitude, everything that's unforgiven, everything that's not made right with God has been taken to the old-fashioned altar and laid on the altar of consecration. Then we say, Lord, here it is. Take me, take me, cleanse me, use me any way you want to. We need to make ourselves available, readily available for the service of God. God didn't save you and save me, so we just sit around, prop up our feet, sit on the bench and watch the rest of them. Christianity has been likened to 100,000 people up in the football stands. And it has been said that 100,000 people, all those people just, just up there in the stands, every single one of them in desperate need of exercise, screaming and yelling at 22 men down on the football field in desperate need of rest. And isn't that what Christianity is? Vast majority, screaming for activity, screaming for whatever, whatever, but not doing it. Listen, God didn't save you and God didn't save me so we could prop our feet up and, and just take it easy and just, uh, just uh, like the man said, uh, I'm riding the glory train and I've got, I've got a sleeper berth all the way. No, God didn't save us to prop our feet up. God saved us to be involved and to allow the Spirit of God to work through us and have Jesus Christ flow through our life. So perfecting holiness and the fear of God hasn't got to do with plainness on the outside. It may be that somebody needs to make some outward adjustments, but that would be in response to getting the heart right. Wouldn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And please, like somebody has already said, took 52 days, day and night, 24 hours to finish the wall. It may take 52 Sundays to help everybody get on the right page. We want folks to be modest, appropriate, right. We want them to be correct in their behavior and positive, separated under Christ, be soul winners, be witnesses. but not everybody comes around right away. You're, you're here tonight, you're listening tonight. you who are online, you're viewing. But it doesn't happen all at once. First step is that first step saying, Lord, I've been wrong. Cleanse me. Take me. Use me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Nobody looking tonight. How many of you would say, preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart tonight. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you this. Do you know for sure if you died right now that you'd go to heaven? Are you positive beyond any doubt that Jesus is in your heart, that you've been saved the Bible way. say, I'm not sure. All right, right now, will you call upon the name of the Lord? From your heart, pray something silently like this. Dear God, just pray from your heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior, as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that and you meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can see it right now?